0: As thought this week, not prayed this week, an issue has come up over and over and over again It comes up all the time. It was an issue that came up for us a lot when we were in the NICU with Shiloh, and it comes up in broader life, um, an issue that comes up each and every week during the year, and it's an issue that's at the center of our sermon this week, it's this idea of relationship relationships and, and the part they play in our life and, and what relationships are. You know, studies have shown that attachment within the first few months of a child's life will influence an individual's relationships throughout their life. If, if there is good attachment and, and they are loved on and they are touched and they are held, they grow into strong, independent thinkers and, and they have good relationships. And those who are mistreated simply don't. Uh, those relationships are so important. Uh, the bond we have with our parents sets the tone for relationships later in life. That is just that is just a general rule. And once we hit a certain age, relationships with the opposite sex come to the front of our existence. We are just like, you know, hey, there it is. Um, you know, camp is a funny thing. No matter what camp you go to, whether it's kids camp or preteen camp or youth camp, camp's a, a funny thing. Uh, I've been to camp several times and it's always a similar experience. You watch as, as these strong bonds are formed between youth and youth, between youth and sponsors, between sponsors and sponsors, and by the time you leave, there are individuals in your life who seem more like family than the strangers they were just four days earlier. Sometimes, you even get to connect, reconnect with an old friend. I remember going to youth camp uh, 10, 10 or so years ago, and, Lo and behold, there was a guy there who used to be music minister at a church that had done a revival with me, and he was now a pastor at a different church. And he had showed up at the same camp, and we got to reconnect. Those things happen. But when it comes to relationships, there's always going to be a hierarchy. There's always a need for a hierarchy. Um, some relationships are just more important to us than others. You know, in, in our married life, our spouse is a very important relationship. Our children are very important relationships. Our parents are very important relationships. They're just relationships that we have that's more important. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Carrie in my relationship over the acquaintance that I had that I met as I was standing in line at Walmart. I mean, there, there's Carrie's relationship's going to come before a lot of other people's relationship, even in this room. Because she's my spouse. She is that first person that I go to. The relationship is always a hierarchy. And that's the issue at the heart of our text this morning, over in Daniel chapter 6. There, in Daniel 6, and we skipped over a couple of chapters, some things have been going on, but this is where really God led us for this morning. And there in in Daniel 6, we find Daniel... Deciding about relationship, a very particular relationship, they there, starting in verse 1, it says, Darius decided to appoint 100 city, sat- 100 city satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm. And over them, three administrators, including Daniel, These satraps, would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Now, Daniel distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators, and the satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, We will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So, King Darius signed the document. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upper room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now, and we thank you, and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time, Father, use it for your glory. Father, speak to me this morning. Give us your words. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say. Amen. Very interesting story. We won't talk about the line then the until next week. This is, you know, the cliffhanger today. And as we look at what went on, you know, some things have changed here. Um, Nebuchadnezzar is no longer king. Darius is coming to power and he's seeking an official to be over. Over. The officials to make sure that nobody is taking advantage of him. And here's Daniel. Well, Daniel's found to be spectacular. He's found to be different. He's found to be the man for the job. You know, living a life that God's commands sets you apart. Daniel distinguished himself. He didn't simply have all the right tools. He used the right tools correctly. You know, we, you look in Proverbs, and we find that. Knowledge is having information. Wisdom is knowing how to properly use the knowledge. Daniel had these things. He went above and beyond. He went the second mile that Jesus would talk about later. He did everything he could to the best of his abilities. And he did this because it brought honor to God. It said that he had a good spirit. The very person of God shined through in the life of Daniel. It wasn't simply talent that set Daniel apart. It was his relationship with God. That's what set him apart. It was the very spirit within him, the way that he acted, the way that he treated himself, the way that he treated others, the faithfulness that he had. Those are the things that set him apart and made him the trustworthy person that he was. He he was faithful, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, in everything, even the small things. You know, believers today are also called to be set apart. We're told about Paul to do everything we do as if we're doing it for God. That's a tall order. That's a very tall order. I was, I was listening to James Merritt this morning. You may know who James Merritt is. Baptist pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. You know who he is you're watching with me. Just chill. Uh, he was talking this morning about the Bible and the need for the Bible. And he said, the problem is people read the word, they look to the word, but they don't live out the word. And so that was the story we had to live out the word. And that's it. We're told to do everything we do as if we're doing it for God. Now, do we do this? Do we do everything we do as if we're doing it for God? That word everything literally means, guess what? Everything. When you take out the trash, do you do it as if you're doing it for God? Now you're going, now that's silly. Brother Troy, is it? Is it silly? It's because sometimes I fail at that. Sometimes that trash pile that ends up in the garage and I need to bring it the dumpster is out there and Carrie reminds me at a time that I don't like her reminding me and I will grumble. Is that the way God would want me to do that? No. That's how that works. Do we do everything we do as if we're doing it for God? How about when we drive our car? That was stuck on some toes there. (laughs) Because you know we're also called to follow the laws and there's this little law on this little sign that says speed limits. Do we do everything we do as if we're doing it for God? That God said, hey, that's a speed limit. It's there for a reason. They did lots of research to figure out what the proper speed in this area is. And no matter how much you hate it, like 60 miles an hour between my house and weather, I hate it. But I push cruise control because I don't want to go. Do we do those things? Do we do everything? When we sing praises on Sunday morning, are we singing it as if we are doing it for God? It's tough. Because you know, sometimes there are songs that I love, there are songs that I like, and there are songs that I go, eh. But do I sing the songs that I go, eh, the same way that I sing the songs I love? Because I will always say, worship is what you bring to it, not what you get out of it. Because you're going to get more out of it when you bring something to it. When you come in and you say, you know what? God didn't say, sing a beautiful song. He said, sing a joyful noise. And I may not sound great, and I may mumble, I may not know it, but if I'm singing my heart out to God, that does something. How about when we go on vacation? I remember one time, we went on a vacation before we had kids. We went on vacation, and uh, we were there at a church who had hooked up with us and done a ministry In in a mission in our church that we were at. And we walked in, I remember the pastor making this huge deal about the fact that we had gone to church on vacation. And my thought was, are we not supposed to? When I take a vacation, I take a vacation from God, I take a vacation from from the, the, the things of life, but God still needs to be there. Do we do everything? we do everything as if we're doing it for God. Daniel did. And he was set apart and picked for a promotion. It wasn't his skills that got him noticed. It was how he fulfilled his duties. The king could see something different in him. He saw it shine out of him. He could see a spirit that did everything it could to the glory of God. But as I see something here with Daniel and what happens to him, we realize that if we wish to be blessed by God, we must first allow ourselves to be used by God. Now I know that's going to be a controversial statement because uh, I have to unpack this a little bit. There are two arguments that I can already hear in your head. (laughs) Well, Brother Troy, I see God sometimes bless people who don't even believe in it. They have more money than I do. They have better cars than I do. All this stuff that I would like to have and they have, you know, it says that he sends rain on the just and the unjust. So how can you say that, that we have to be where we need to be? We had to move there. Well, that's true. He does. But those blessings are many times superficial, right? God loves his entire creation. So he'll bless even those who don't know it. The irony is, those individuals won't even know they're being blessed by God. I did that. I picked the right numbers to win the lottery. I picked the right job. I worked hard. I did that. But when God blesses the non-believer, he does so in order that they may come to know him and him be glorified. That's where the blessings come from. He wants them to know, hey, he wants them to see one day. Here's, here's this. Now, the other argument is, if we must be used, then our blessings become worse. Here, here, choice That means I work for my blessings. No, it's not what it means. That's false. What I'm saying is, we can't experience the full blessing of God if we're not in His will. We have to position ourselves in a way to receive His blessings. I have to be where I need to be to get the blessing that God has for me. Let's go back to the camp example. Going to camp, depending on your view, is hard work. you ever been to camp, it can be hard work, right? You go, it's hot. The mattresses are uncomfortable at times. It's humid. There are kids who, you know, depending on your age, you know, I mean, I don't know, maybe Carter cried himself to sleep a couple of nights. You never know. Some kids cry themselves to sleep. Some kids can't handle being there. Some kids act up in their holy terrors and you have to deal with it in a way because people are looking at you going, that's your kid from your church you to take care of. Camp can be hard, right? Those things happen. Sometimes there's nothing to do during free time, but sit there and watch kids who are doing things and you're going, why would you do that? You could stay comfortably at home and be just fine doing the daily routine of your week. But by going, you can get blessing on top of blessing. By going, you can experience things you wouldn't have experienced otherwise. You might get some good teaching from someone you might not have heard otherwise. You may form some of those bonds with people across the state who were there for the same reason. You may see multiple children and sometimes adults walk the aisle to accept Jesus or to dedicate their lives to missions or to ministry. I was at one camp here. This is a long time ago. Um, Thirteen years ago, uh, and it was hot. And they had replaced all the mattresses in the girls' door with nice, timor-pedic mattresses. And the boys still had the old phone, so we weren't happy anyway. It was me and a group of boys. because two churches had come together because they didn't have a youth missions, so they came with us, and another church was in there, and the pastor was there. So it was two pastors and a bunch of youth. That was fun. Uh, But we were there, and he had six or seven boys with him. And one night, all seven walked the aisle to accept Jesus. And one night, this pastor was overjoyed, and I got to sit there with him and rejoice in the fact that the entire group that he came to camp with All receive salvation because I allowed myself to be used by God. I was where God could bless me and pour into me in a way he couldn't do it again. So I'll say it again. If we wish to be blessed by God, we have to allow ourselves to be used by God. And when we're used by God, when we're living a life in God's commands, we'll be blameless. And it's going to force those people around us to invent charges, to invent things, to find reasons why you're wrong. When we live by God's commands, we're not corrupt. We're not tempted by those, those little things. Daniel's enemies didn't like his new job. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Think of the greatest rival that you've dealt with in whatever sport you want it to be, whatever your favorite team is, whether it's light band basketball or Cowboys football or whatever. Can you imagine the coach that is always coached against you all of a sudden becoming your coach? That's what happened to Daniel. Daniel was a Jewish boy from nowhere. All the other guys, they were Babylonian. They were just there. And man, Daniel had set himself apart. And he was going to be put in charge. They had to find a way to charge him. And they couldn't find any. By living the commands of God, Daniel was living an incorruptible life in a corrupt world. He broke no laws. He was trustworthy. So, they said, this guy never slips up. He doesn't cheat on his taxes. He doesn't speed in his chariot. He doesn't do any of these things. He does everything right. The only way we're ever going to get it is if we catch him in something that has to do with his God. Even his enemies recognized that he had a spirit in him from God. They recognized it. So they said, This is what we're going to do. We're going to go to the king. And they went to the king, right? They went to the king and said this. Oh, king, all of the prefects, satraps, governors, and everybody else think you should do this. Well, that wasn't true. Because Daniel was a satrap and a supervisor. And he didn't agree to this. But they said that. And we want you to do this. They invented a way that they knew that they would catch it. Don't pray to anybody except the king for 30 days. When you follow God, people who aren't following God aren't going to be happy. They're going to try to attack you and bring you down. They're going to invent things that they have to in order to make sure that you are not being blessed. They're going to try to steal your joy. Now, a lot of people don't like Joyce Meyer. uh, But she has some truths, some things that she says in her messages. And there is one thing that she uses that applies to this passage in our lives. And that's, it's up to us whether or not we choose to let someone offend us. We have the power to walk away from that offense. We don't have to hold on to it. We have the power to not let them steal our joy. We don't have to let individuals who aren't following God's will ruin our mood. We don't have to do that. We can say, I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to deal with that. You know, if someone is always angry, bitter, selfish, hateful, short-tempered, they're not in God's will. If they're unforgiving and hold on to the past, not letting go of things gone by, they're not in God's will. If they're negative, short-sighted, unable to change when God tries to work in their lives, they're not in God's will. These people may think they're in God's will. They may think they're experiencing God, but it's very limited. We can choose to let these people steal our Jesus, Or we can live a life worthy of the calling of those offenses. Go. And I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to deal with that. To truly experience God, we have to learn to get rid of all this junk and allow Him to be our center. Which brings us to our most important verse of the whole passage for me. It's there in verse 10, where it says When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in the upper room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. We must decide before we're forced to that God is our most important relationship. I love this verse because it happens. All the people against Daniel go to Darius and say, Darius, make this a law. Make this a law that you can't pray to anybody but you for 30 days. And do it in such a way that not even you can revoke it to him. Do it in such a way that not even you can give him amnesty. Do it in such a way that he's going to be in trouble. But when Daniel learned it had been signed, he didn't pay any. He didn't know the king and say, King, hey, they lied. I wasn't in on this. So not everybody agrees. You should rethink this. He didn't do any of those things. He did what he always did. He prayed. It says when he learned that this had happened, he went to his house. And now when he went to his house, the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed to Jerusalem just as he had always done. Our relationship with God is built on prayer. We should be praying daily. Daniel didn't wait until he was in trouble to pray. So often we wait until we get into trouble, right? We wait. We wait. I can't let that happen. Oh, Jesus, get me out of this. What if we would have started with Jesus, show me how not to get there. Show me the way you want me to go. Show me how you want me to be. Daniel didn't wait until he was in trouble. He prayed as in his custom. He was in the habit of praying three times a day. And it wasn't... It wasn't how we (laughs) pray. Well, maybe you pray this way. I can't... It wasn't how most of us in the contemporary world pray. Because most of us... Well, our heads... And we say a prayer, right? It says, Daniel... Was opening his windows, getting down on his knees, bowing down toward Jerusalem, and crying out to God. Three times a day. Three times a day, he set out enough time that he could go and pray to God. Basically, he had three clock times a day. We keep telling people we need to have a quiet time, a quiet time, and Daniel had three. This wasn't a passing fad for him. He didn't simply pray when things were bad. He prayed every day. Prayer for us should be like eating or breathing. Something we have to do in order to be alive. Something we have to do to be living. I don't mean, Jesus, thank you for the food. I mean, Jesus, examine my life. Genuine prayer thats communication on a daily basis. Prayer that moves, changes, and affects our lives. It should not be something that we hate doing or feel forced to do. I shared a meme here a few weeks ago on Facebook about when the pastor's fixing to call on somebody to pray and you start sinking down in your seat. Because you don't want to be called. But we shouldn't hate to pray. Because prayer is talking to God. I would give anything to pick up the phone and call and talk to my dad. I can't do it anymore call and talk to my mom. I can't do it anymore. But every day I can talk to my father. Every day I can talk to him. All day long. Why do we not do that? Why do we not talk to God every day? All day long. I mean, I know in my life how it was. I didn't need to have my dad as an adult in my life because he had had the accident whenever I was just turning an adult. But my mom, I called her multiple times a day. And we would just talk about everything. It wasn't just when there was a problem. It was everything. What are you doing right now? While well, I'm cooking a burger. What are you doing right now? I'm bringing up somebody's gas. We were at the store. So she was always doing something. She was always there. But how we, how we talked all the time. That's how she be with God. Our relationship with God is built on prayer. It's built on that communication. It should be something we look forward to, something that we make time for, something that we feel empty without daily. We should be praying frequently. Daniel prayed multiple times a day. He made it a habit. He would go to the same place and pray three times a day. You know, it's a good habit to have, to have a place where you pray. And that's the only thing you do there. Because if you have a place where the only thing you do in that spot is pray, every time you go there, you're going to want to pray. Every time you go there, you're going to say, this is the time that I talk to God. He didn't miss it. Every day, he didn't miss it. It was his appointment with God. We should pray in spite of all the barriers around us. Daniel knew the sentence for praying, but he prayed anyway. He knew that if he prayed to God, Daniel was lucky in one way that we know of. We know he didn't have a wife that we know of. Now, I don't mean that to sound rude, but but Paul says it, doesn't he? I would rather you stay single. Because when you're single, you can worry about God, but when you have a wife, you gotta worry about your wife and what she thinks. It's hard. God should be that most important relationship, but we have our spouse, and we love our spouse. Sometimes we might just like our spouse, but still, we love our spouse, and we have our kids, and sometimes it's hard to imagine any relationship being more important to us than our relationship with our kids, right? Because they are kids, and we love them. We may want to throttle them sometimes, but we love them. God wants to be the most important relationship you have. He wants to know that when you have to choose, you'll choose him. That's tough. They had a movie a a couple years ago. I didn't get to watch it. I read the book back in undergrad. It was called Silence by Shizaka Endo. Um, It was a book about three priests who were sent to Japan to look for a world-renowned priest who had it in their terms, um, given up the faith. But given up the faith in that that Catholic thought was that all he had to do was walk across the picture of Jesus, and that was giving up the faith. Um, but he had given it up. He had done this. And they go to search for this priest. They go to look for him. And when they find him, this is what he says. How how he could apostatize. How could he give up the faith? He said, he's been serving these people for decades. And they had come to know Jesus, but the faith they had didn't seem genuine. And one of the guys that he had led to Jesus then became the leader of this army that was against Jesus. And he discovered a secret. Because every priest he went to when he said, apostatize or I'm going to kill you, would be killed rather than apostatize. But when they came to this priest, when they came to this guy, this guy was smart enough now that he knew. And he came to him, and he didn't say, apostatize, give up your faith, or I'll kill you. He said, apostatize, or I'll kill them. And that was the choice he was given. It's a tough choice. God wants to be our most important relationship. We've talked before about the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's a similar story. As they killed off his family, the man just said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Is Jesus your most important relationship to Is he the one you have to talk to in the mornings and say goodnight to at night? Because he wants to be. Maybe for you, maybe for you, you've you've been a believer and you've known Jesus for, for, for many, many years. But somewhere along the way, you drifted a little bit away and now's the time to say, Jesus, I want you to be my most important relationship. I want you back. Because I'll guarantee you this. When you have God, when you have Jesus in the right place, all the other relationships begin to fall in line. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. Maybe you want to turn to missions or ministry or join this church in membership. But maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never known the one that to come and to, to live a sinless life, to take care of the greatest problem the world has ever known by dying on a cross. Maybe you've never known him. Maybe he can't be the most important relationship in your life because you don't have a relationship. Don't leave this room without that relationship because it is the most important relationship you'll ever have. Don't leave this room. If you've made a decision and you haven't told people about it and you, and you want to follow through and say, I want to be baptized. Walk this aisle and front of Troy. I know Jesus. I, can, I need to be baptized. Come on, we'll talk about it. Whatever your need is today, walk the aisle and give it to us. And we'll take it to him and take care of every need we have. Wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings.